belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for the week of March 7th, 2021 is called, When Scripture Offends Us. The speaker is John Ray and the location is 2828 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I don't like the text that we have this week. And that may sound heretical, that may sound shocking, because I love scripture. It's, it's, I mean, it's a major thing I do with my life, is the study of scripture and teaching it. But this happens. We, we come across a passage or a story or something that brings us up short that doesn't fit with our paradigm of how we think about God, of how we think about the world with that. And our text this week is one of those passages, at least it is for me. And it's not just tough to admit it, it's tough to resist the temptation just to gloss it over or to come up with some simple answer that fits within my existing paradigm of what it should say, to try to make it That's maybe a good way to say it. Try to make it what I think it should say instead of letting it say what it does. But it just feels false to smile and play nice in regards to this text. But it also feels foolish to refuse to somehow demand that I find a way to encounter it that is honest. Maybe you'll come up with a different response, but let's dig in and see what we can find. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, there are large parts of the Bibles that the Bible that offend and confuse us. Well, don't be afraid. We cannot be afraid. Our relationship with God and each other must always be rooted in an ever-deepening commitment to the truth, even if it offends us and we don't understand. One of Scripture's primary purposes is to awaken us to the reality and mystery of God, things we otherwise can't or won't see. If we go along with this, it is going to demand a radical reorientation of many of our affections, our associations, our affiliations, things that have developed in us or been taught to us throughout our lives. This is going to cost us. It's going to make us uncomfortable. But learning how to lean into that discomfort is essential for our growth and development. So we've been studying Isaiah. We're going to continue to study Isaiah for a while. But we're entering into a new kind of era or um, section of what we've studied. We've, We've kind of taken two main blocks so far. And this section is, an, is a massive, almost universal proclamation of judgment, of what the prophet sees coming on a universe-wide level. The first section of the book we encountered was, was rooted in a very specific time, place, and people. It dealt with the people of Israel under a certain king or kings um, regarding specific situations. The next section broadened its, got its gaze much wider. It dealt with the surrounding nations and what was going on, and it took place 
over a large period of time. Well, now we're just we're into this broad section that that encompasses not just the earth, but the universe, and not just the time of Isaiah, but universal prim- principles that stand for all time. It also makes an assumption that brings us up short again. It assumes that all people are without excuse, that all people are accountable for a basic standard of responsibility and a way of living. If there is ignorance of this standard, it is assumed that that ignorance is willfully chosen, even if it's encouraged or facilitated by culture or even demonic deceivers, it doesn't leave anyone without excuse. Now, again, this is a large section of text we're looking at, Isaiah 24 through 28. We don't have the space here to read everyone, so I'm going to read a couple of passages, and then we'll make some observations. And it starts, it's pretty bleak, starts chapter 24, verse 1. Look, the Lord is ready to devastate the earth and leave it in ruins. He will mar its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Everyone will suffer. The priest as well as the people, the master as well as the servant, the elegant lady as well as the female attendant, the seller as well as the buyer, the borrower as well as the lender, the creditor as well as the debtor. The earth will be completely devastated and thoroughly ransacked ransacked for the lord has decreed his judgment and that's the start it is followed by 20 more verses of destruction and judgment not very hopeful is it sobering to say the least but then the confusing part, because starting in verse 25, we hear the prophet's response. He says, oh, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt and praise. I will exalt you in praise. I will extol your fame, for you have done extraordinary things and executed plans made long ago exactly as you decreed. Well, I don't know about you, but reading chapter 24, that's not my response. My response to this declaration of universal destruction and judgment is not praise. And yet we go through the the chapters that come after this with the prophet going back and forth between extolling praise for the Lord, but also giving voice to the Lord's judgment and the destruction that it brings. And I don't like it. I don't get it. What are we to do with this? Well, the first thing we do is what Jeff sang about in those songs is we we start with taking it back to and looking at it through the lens of Jesus. At Grace Church, we practice a Christological hermeneutic. That means we interpret and view scripture all through our encounter with Jesus, the word made flesh, the incarnated God. Jesus promised that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father, gives us hope. We remember that there is nothing that is not Christ-like about God. God is not bipolar. God is not um, disassociative. God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we lack understanding, 
we return to what we do know in Jesus. In a way, God is going to God with this. There's a, there's a passage in here, verse 24, 16. I love it. it. It says, deceivers deceive. It's like he got the slang. Isaiah got the slang back how long ago? Haters going to hate. Deceivers going to deceive. Well, we could also say God is, God, God is going to God. The truth is we're always going to struggle somewhat with understanding who God is and why God does what God does. we're always going to struggle with how our actions relate to what God does as well. Are they, are they closely connected? Is there any connection? How and when do our actions relate to what God does? And this is very different than, than kind of the cliche that I see going around a lot with God is in control with this. I, I understand the sentiment behind that, but what the way that I see that used is often this, the, that that's a way of, of avoiding encountering God. The, the cliche, God is in control, is a way of, a, of excusing behaviors, of abdicating concern or response. It's very different to say that God is doing what God is doing and a dismissive kind of Christianese, God is in control. Understanding that God is doing what God does brings us to the courage that refuses to look away from passages like this. They challenge us. They open us to a greater degree of understanding that we would other ha- that we would otherwise not have. Laura commented in the teaching team this week that, uh, you know, the truism, we don't know what we don't know. And admitting that takes a tremendous amount of self-knowledge. And it's humbling to do. It's humbling to get to that point, to let God be God and still stay in the presence of that God with it. I was reminded of a quote by John Golden Gate. We're using his as one of the many resources as we study this. And I used this quote the first week that we started the study of Isaiah. I think it's worth going back to here to help us. He wrote, Christians sometimes assume that the basic thing about their faith is that it's a challenge to live the right kind of life and pursue peace and justice And that the stories in the First Testament or the Old Testament are there to give us good examples or warning examples. But the stories themselves rarely have moral evaluations built into them. And people reading the stories may disagree about the moral evaluation we should come to. This points us to the fact, and here's the key, y'all. This points us to the fact that the stories are more about what God has been doing than about what human beings have been doing. God is pursuing a project to bring into being a world that fulfills God's creation purpose. God sometimes has to pursue his objectives despite the actions of the people he gets involved with. But the propriety of their action is not the main point. The main point is that God is at work. It's so easy for us to lose sight of that. 
It's so easy to think that it's all about us, how we act, what we do, how we respond that determines and controls the destiny of things. It's so easy to think that we're in a, in a buying and selling transactional relationship with God, that if we just behave in a certain way, then God owes us a certain end. This idolatry of control that we have in our society, of safety, of security, that we demand that we get what we deserve because we assume, we assume that we are worthy of being treated well. Well, this passage kind of blows all that to smithereens. And that's tough to sit with. It offends me. But just because we don't understand something doesn't mean we're immune from it. As a people, we really hate to, to not understand. One of our highest cultural values is to understand and to establish control through understanding. The temptation is always for us to create God in our own image, to imagine God behaves as we would behave, to demand that God behaves in a way that we understand so that we can control it. The only true way to ultimately understand is to worship, to give up our own divinity and submit. Now, I'm probably really pressing some buttons for some people because I know that those offend me. It offends me that I have to submit. It offends me that I have to give up control. I want to be in charge. I want to be worthy. I want to call the shots. Sure, I'll submit to something but it will be at the time and in the way of my choosing. Anything else feels oppressive with that. <sighs> Again, this scripture does not allow for that. Philip Yancey once wrote, no matter how we rationalize, God will sometimes seem unfair from the perspective of a person, of us, trapped in time. Not until history has run its course will we understand how all things work together for good. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Again, this humbles us. This takes away our what we feel like is a right to know in advance. Maybe a little perspective here helps us um, from the Lent reading that Alex and Teresa are doing. This quote came. Consider passages in Scripture in which God's word escapes our understanding. Would it be like God if he withheld his voice until human kind could fully comprehend it? Would we hear anything? Really, if, if, it was, if God was said, I'm not going to tell you anything until you can fully understand it, would he be able to tell us anything? It's just part of being limited, of being finite, that we are 
invited into this mystery. We're invited to follow before we know where we're going to go. We're, we're invited to obey before we understand what it's going to produce with that. Well, we've been asking three questions throughout this. What did this mean to the original hearers? What did it mean to the first believers? And what does it mean for us? Well, I believe for the original hearers in a world that was filled with idols and gods and spirits and empires, oppression and scorn, the first hearers needed a stark reminder of the universal power of God, that their God was not just another petty tribal deity or or empire-oriented God that was solely focused in a win-lose uh, territorial type God. But that their God, Yahweh, was the God of everything, even the universe, even the stars, that their God that they worshiped, that they followed, that they believed wasn't limited by empires or tribes or even the earth, but, but ruled the universe with that. I think they also needed a God. They needed to understand to be reminded that this God had power even over death. No matter what destruction happened to the earth, God could redeem it. You see, there's this, this verse that we see this. If you look at chapter 25, verse 7, this might be easy to pass uh, the understanding of a modern reader. It says, on this mountain, he, referring to God, will swallow up the shroud that is over all people. The woven covering that is over all the nations. So what is the shroud? What do they talk about? Well, this is the funeral shroud. This is the burial shroud that they would wrap people in. We see this, the linens that they wrapped Jesus in and laid him in the tomb. It's saying that God is able to overcome even the most immovable of forces in the world, which is death. The one thing that we know as humans we cannot overcome, death, that our God can overcome even death. Well, what did this mean for the first Christians? Well, we know it's important, especially as we read those famous words where it follows that, that part about the shroud where it says that the sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the earth. Does that sound familiar? Wipe away every tear. The first Christians took that up in the book of Revelation. It was a psalm. It was an assurance. They saw it happening. I think they started to understand also that what they saw here in the words of the prophet and Isaiah were being fulfilled in Jesus, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They started to see that Time gave them perspective what the first hearers didn't have, which was to see God establishing his power and his testimony in all the world over all empires, eras, epochs, people. They started to see maybe that first glimmer of dawn in God's revelation through these words. Well, that brings us to us. What does this mean for us? Well, aside from getting a humbling lesson, sitting with our own finite with, finiteness, 
I think we are also challenged to understand what are the idols that enslave us today? Is it that need for certainty, that need for control, that need for more information? What are the empires that threaten us that claim that they are higher than God? Technological achievement, financial security, ethnic purity. What, what are these evil empires that threaten us? What diseases afflict us today that we need healing from? It causes us to stop and question, where am I getting my hope? If this offends me, where have I put my hope other than God? Where am I finding a hope that transcends circumstances and even my own understanding? It forces us to look back also, as we said at the start, to the person of Jesus, the nature and character of God as revealed in Jesus the Christ to center our affection, our focus, our allegiance on Jesus. Understanding that we may not know it all, but we know enough when we know Jesus. We may not know it all, but we know enough when we know Jesus. And knowing that allows us to enter in and to ask even the most daunting questions, to deal with the most overwhelming emotions, to, to understand ourselves in light of God's truth. To no longer be deceived or be deceivers, deceivers of ourselves and deceivers of others. So we need to remember that this book, the Bible, and the Bible as a whole, this text and the Bible as a whole, is about what God is doing. God is the hero, not us. As we learn to trust this God with our whole selves, with all our questions and doubts, addictions, diseases, suffering, we can have established in us that true and lasting hope. So friends, don't run from the mystery. Don't run from the questions. Don't run from those emotions. Don't run from the longings. God is more than able to handle all that. This is what ultimately fuels real praise, obedience, adoration. That the God of the universe, the God who holds history in God's hands, who determines the destinies of entire eras and empires invites us into all of this, shows his hand, knowing we won't understand it, knowing that part of it is going to offend us, knowing that parts of it are going to be way over our head. He nevertheless, God nevertheless invites us into that. We've talked about this before. Um, how the Western mindset operates on kind of a continuum of hear, understand, and obey, maybe. That's the way we're taught. Let's hear it, understand it, and then do it. This recenters us back in the traditional, the ancient way of learning, which is hear, obey, and understand, maybe. 
I'll confess to you, even after reading this scripture multiple times and the discussions and meditating on it, praying through, there's still a lot I don't understand. But that doesn't absolve me from obedience. That doesn't absolve me from responding with humility and obedience towards this text with this. I'd like to pause here and add a story, you know, a personal or otherwise story about how that one time when I didn't understand and I obeyed and then it all worked out. And then as soon as I obeyed, I, I, I got understanding. I don't have one. I just don't have one here. The time frame on this is too long. The time frame on this extends beyond death. The time frame on this exp- extends into the unforeseen future, an unforeseeable future. That's where this text leads us. And again, I think that's a reason why it's so profoundly uncomfortable for me. I want to know the end. I want to see where I'm going. I want to understand how it's going to work. I just can't. Scripture doesn't give it to me. Now, Jesus does. I get enough, right? We get enough with Jesus. But that still leaves us with huge portions we don't understand. And y'all, that's okay. I mean, it's got to be. We really don't have a choice. Maybe that's the most offensive thing at all. I pray that you'll sit with us this week. I pray that you'll be honest with God and honest with yourself. But in that, I pray against despair. Because you see, God understands. There's there's nothing here that, that God hasn't provided an answer for. We may not like it right away, but God provides an answer. That answer is Jesus. That answer is the invitation to come to Jesus, the compassionate, the one who understands us, who in every way was tempted and likewise troubled as we are. That in Jesus, we have the promise we are seen, we are understood, we are loved. God gets us. God understands and God gives us himself in the person of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.